The prophet Micah is what's known as a minor prophet in Scripture, outshined by the big-name prophets like his contemporary Isaiah. But these minor prophets speak truth just the same. In this text, Micah questions the ancient system of transactional sacrifice that dominated religion in his day. Namely, that God demands sacrifices in exchange for blessings and favors. No, Micah says. God only wants us to be kind and just and humble. God doesn't want sacrifice unless we are sacrificing something for someone else in need. It's not something you do for yourself. It's something you do for another. Reading from Micah 6. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with tens of thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Please pray with me. Everlasting God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations upon all of our hearts serve to glorify you. And may they be in keeping always with the teachings of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, now there are two kinds of people in this world. There are those who prefer Starbucks coffee and those who do not. Now I realize that I'm alienating myself here unnecessarily pointing out a harsh dichotomy because I happen to know that most of you are the former, purveyors and connoisseurs of richly flavored lattes and classy ambiance. And some of you wouldn't deign to drink Dunkin' Donuts coffee through a 10-foot straw. (laughs) Whereas I, a lifelong Dunkin' devotee, clearly fall into the latter category. I'm not just a fan, I'm also a former employee (laughs) who used to bring home donuts filled Uh, to the brim inside of garbage bags, bring them home from work, and I would eat those donuts out of said garbage bags like an animal, like a beast. But as the 18th century poet Samuel Johnson once wrote, he who makes a beast out of himself gets rid of the pain of being a man. Naturally, this doesn't mean that you and I can't get along. In fact, I've often leapt to Starbucks' defense in the face of controversy. When they put their coffee in those plain red cups at Christmas time, devoid of any explicit Christmas imagery, and evangelical Christians blame them for staging a war on Christmas, I thought that was ridiculous. The following year, in December, when they adorned their cups with a simple cartoon of two androgynous hands holding one another, the same conservative Circles blamed them for promoting homosexuality, insisting that those cartoon hands 
belonged to a pair of lesbians. God forbid. I don't think that was their intention, uh, Starbucks' intention, but if so, that's great. You know, again, I leapt to the defense of the caffeine conglomerate. But there is one marketing ploy from Starbucks that is truly indefensible and frankly shameless. It's not what's on the cups, but rather the size of their cups. As you probably know, they come in three sizes. You got the, uh, the tall, the grande, and the venti. And these equate to the more traditional small, medium, and large, which means that their small coffee is called tall. This has troubled me for years. <laughs> tall is a relative term. You would never call the shortest of three objects tall. I mean, tall compared to what? The grande? Don't even get me started on the grande. Grande simply means large in the mother tongue of the old country. How they get away with calling a medium coffee large is beyond me. Doesn't anyone in this country speak Italian? <laughs> For some reason, I seem to be the only one who cares about this important issue. But Starbucks has been in the news these last couple of years uh, for an altogether different reason. And this latest story is more nuanced and complex, I think, than either the red cups or the size of them. For a while now, there's been this thing going on in the Starbucks drive through called Pay It Forward. Basically, someone is feeling a little generous and decides that they want to pay for the coffee of the person in line behind them. And this begins a chain in which the barista tells the next person their coffee has been paid for and asks them if they'd like to pay it forward to the next person in line, buying their coffee for them. It's been a wildly popular thing with streaks of 150 people, 400 people. In China, there was even a streak of 9,000 customers. I'm sorry, 19,000 customers paying it forward to the people in the cars behind them. It's a win-win for Starbucks. They get tons of great publicity, and they give their customers an opportunity to do their proverbial good deed for the day. Now, I think any opportunity to be generous is a good thing, ultimately, but there is a dark side to this phenomenon as well. You see, it's only a matter of time before someone inevitably breaks the chain and refuses to pay for the next person in line. And since a lot of these longer chains actually make it into the news, the, the person who breaks the winning streak sometimes ends up being the subject of public ridicule and disdain. It becomes an incident, you know, that, that spoils everybody's charitable euphoria. Uh, the first incident that I want to talk about today happened in St. Petersburg, Florida, when an unidentified woman in a white Jeep uh, pulled up to the window. For the past 10 hours, 378 consecutive customers had been buying each other coffee, but no more. When asked if she'd like to pay it forward by the barista, she replied, I just want to pay for my own coffee. Thanks. Somehow this got into the news, and the 
internet exploded in rage. How dare she, the angry mob seemed to say. And then it got onto the Today Show and ABC News and other outlets where the barista who served the woman in the white Jeep was interviewed and claimed that the woman was confused and didn't understand the pay it forward concept or how it worked. The internet was less charitable where people on a, a variety of websites attacked this woman calling her cheap and stingy and greedy and an overall around awful person. I'm a little sympathetic perhaps because um, something like this happened to somebody that I know. Not the whole thing about being in the news, but uh, you know, she gets her coffee at Starbucks every morning and you know, first morning she's asked to pay it forward, you know, for someone behind her uh, who, you know, their, their bill was $5, her coffee was three. She's like, yeah, okay, sure. And then the next day, the person behind her, you know, the bill was $10, <laughs> her coffee was three. She's like, yeah, okay. And then the, the, the third day, so, well, you know, how much is the, the person behind me? Well, that's like $17. She's like, you know, it's getting a little expensive <laughs> uh, drinking coffee in the morning. I told her she should go to Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> but she felt really guilty, you know, felt really, really bad, like she'd done something wrong. But think about it. Isn't somebody supposed to break the chain? That's the whole point. Someone is supposed to receive the gift that was initially made. I read a, a really interesting article about this uh, that was really critical of these campaigns uh, in which the author breaks uh, the incident of the woman in St. Petersburg down in economic terms. Technically, he writes, every successive customer was always just paying for herself. When customer zero started the chain and put down the original money, that person functionally set up the world's smallest escrow account inside that Starbucks. The money then sat there unclaimed as each successive customer opted instead to, in reality, pay for their own drink in the guise of paying for someone else's. In other words, according to the guy who wrote this piece, after the initial gift, everyone paid for one cup of coffee, hardly a sacrifice by any measure, when you intended to buy one anyway. And in the end, since the woman in the white Jeep still paid for her own coffee, that's where it stayed. According to the author of this piece, no one ever got a free coffee, not so much as a tall Americano. I have my reservations about the article. As I mentioned before, it's not as though, you know, every order costs exactly $5 and they just keep swapping that money out. It's an oversight that threatens to sink his whole argument. Some pay more, some pay less. But I agree that the phenomenon sort of cheapens the notion of sacrifice. It's a nice thing to do. But here, when you get, you're supposed to give, and you only give because you got. In the end, is it just another drive-through transaction? If I may wax biblical for a bit here, uh, in the ancient world, sacrifice was more than a gimmick. It was a fundamental dimension of Judaism, as prescribed in the Torah. Blood sacrifice, offered in the form of animals and burnt offerings, was the only way to be cleansed of one's sin. You gave up something from your flock or your herd upon a sacred altar, and in exchange, you were blessed with God's forgiveness and favor. 
After the temple was built in Jerusalem during the reign of King Solomon, that became the only place where sacrifices could be legally made. Animals could be purchased there for just such a purpose, the larger and more worthy sacrifices, the grande and the venti, if you will, being the most expensive. It was a kind of transactional grace. You give something and you get something in return. The prophet Micah spoke out against these transactions, not so much the purchasing of animals, but rather the purchasing of God's grace with tangible treasures. Shall I come before God with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? He asks sarcastically. Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body, for the sin of my soul? This last question of Micah's really cuts to the heart. And it echoes one of the Bible's darkest tales. In the book of Genesis, the patriarch Abraham nearly sacrificed his own son Isaac upon a mountaintop altar in order to retain uh, the Lord's favor and prove his fealty to God. And he'd have gone through with it too if God hadn't put a stop to it. But this sacrifice was, in my mind, extraordinarily selfish of Abraham. Yes, he was giving up something precious to him, but at the expense of another, and ultimately to gain something for himself. And in my mind, that's no sacrifice at all. It's an exchange. It's a transaction. And for a long time, even today, people have understood Christianity in much the same way. Christian tradition teaches us that Jesus was a blood sacrifice to God dying on our behalf to literally pay off the debt of our collective sin. Christ is the lamb that is sacrificed upon the altar, and we are redeemed by his blood. But I really have a hard time accepting this position, this particular interpretation of events. I find it to be a bizarre theological claim, one made even more incomprehensible by the notion that God is supposedly the one who sacrificed Jesus, God's only begotten son, in order to appease the wrath of God? I know it's orthodoxy, but it just doesn't sit right with me. It feels an awful lot like that story about the binding of Isaac. I know it's orthodoxy, um, but I can't get behind it. Consider another biblical text, another story in which father and son ascend a mountain. Jesus is standing atop the peak of a high mountain when he is transfigured into a being of pure white light, and a voice from heaven echoes lovingly, this is my son. God doesn't sacrifice Jesus. God cherishes him. I, too, believe that Jesus' death was a sacrifice, but not the kind that it's often made out to be. I think it was a consequence of his teachings and the way in which he challenged the powers that be. Jesus couldn't keep carrying on the way he did without eventually ending up on a cross. But carry on he did 
teaching the world about God's love and grace. God didn't sacrifice Jesus to pay off some debt. Jesus sacrificed himself so that the world could understand the true meaning of love. And he got nothing in return. Real sacrifice is not a transaction. It's a gift. It's a gift that's given here every day to those who need it by folks in this church, to one another, and to the wider community. Now, given my vantage point in the church, and I say this not as a voice from a lofty pulpit, but rather as one who is privileged to be invited into your lives, into some of the most tender and intimate moments, I see a lot of things. I see people who have found community, embraced by friends, and I see people who are struggling to find a place to belong. I see people who are ill, blessed with meals cooked by neighbors and strangers alike who deliver it to their door. I see people who are grieving and afraid, taken under the wing of those who have walked the same hard road. I see cancer survivors tending and nurturing the recently diagnosed, offering them hope even as it dredges up their own painful memories. That's sacrifice. I see this church throw people a lifeline, people who couldn't afford to be here if others didn't step up to keep this place going. That's a sacrifice. I see so many different people together, successful businessmen and women sharing a pew with those who might be unemployed or on fixed income, struggling to make ends meet. But we share so much more than these pews. We share what we have, talents and treasures alike. Just to give a little of my own testimony as Bill did, I get so much out of this church. It's such an important part of my life. And not just, you know, because I'm the pastor. (laughs) You know, my kids were baptized here. I was married here. It's a special place in my life. I get so much from it. I get so much from all of you in the community that I find here. But that is not why I give. It's not why I give part of my paycheck back to this church. I don't do it so I can keep enjoying the blessings that I've received. It's not a transaction. I'm not buying them. I give so that our friends in this church who can't write a a large check or any check at all can still receive those same blessings. And in turn, they bless us with the time and the talent that they share. It's not a transaction. It's not an I scratch your back and you scratch mine. They're just gifts, freely given. Sacrifices made for each other with no expectation of something in return. The second incident happened the very next day at the very same drive-thru in St. Petersburg. Peter Schorsch, a blogger and activist, had already heard about the infamous woman in the white Jeep who crashed the pay-it-forward party the day before by paying for her own coffee. It had already gotten into the local news. And now he found himself in the same precarious situation. 
He was told that 457 customers before him had opted to pay it forward. Would he like to do the same? No, he replied. He had to explain himself later to the media, of course, defend his decision, articulating some of the same points that I made earlier from that article. This is turning into a social phenomenon, and I had to put a stop to it, he remarked. Just seems like a first world problem to me, he continued. Middle class people sitting in their cars at a drive through sipping a $5 drink and worrying about someone breaking the ranks. To his credit, though, he tipped the barista $100. I don't know. I'm still not sure how I feel about this whole pay-it-forward business. I think it's a nice thing to do, but is it really a sacrifice when you're giving something to someone who really doesn't need it and when you're getting something out of it also? The one thing I am certain of is that I don't think whoever breaks the chain is a villain. A gift is worthless if no one receives it. And a sacrifice isn't really a sacrifice if it's only made because we get something out of it. When the prophet Micah asks if he should sacrifice thousands of rams, 10,000 rivers of oil, or his firstborn child for God's blessing, he goes on to answer his own question. The Lord has told you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? Is that such a tall order? Amen.